0: welcome 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 how's everybody doing hope you are doing well my name is andrew coon focused compounding sitting next to jeff gannon jeff how's it going today uh it's going very well andrew how's it going with you it's going great we hope it's going great for everybody else as well if this is the first time you are tuning in be sure to hit that subscribe button both on the podcast and the youtube side of things leave us five stars i mean come on we've been doing this for three years we're over 300 episodes uh, if you're still listening i hope you've benefited Uh, five stars small price to pay probably about 10 seconds of your time Five stars, rating review. We love all the support. Uh, Go to focuscompound.com. Jeff writes about ideas there. You can get access by signing up for $50 a month or $60 a month. Um, Hit that subscribe button there and you can sign up and get access to that. Um, And check out all of our content. Follow me on Twitter at Focus Compound on Twitter. That's probably the best place to get everything that we do. Um, So thank you so much for all the support and being along with us. I'm wearing a uh what's this thing called like a sweater what, is it? what do they call us? like a long sleeve shirt it says welcome yeah. welcome welcome maybe i don't even know hopefully you could see that shout out to my friend clark you're the best welcome 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 uh that's kind of funny i don't even know why i started doing that and now i have to do it every single time every because time. people on twitter they, 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 they go time. no they go with the cadence they okay say, they 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 go through the whole intro sometimes and it's the oh. funniest thing i love seeing it uh so shout out to clark somebody asked me they're like are you gonna make merch like that and sell it i'm like i don't we're hmm. not doing this to to we're, we're we're just trying to manage capital here and like put put content out into the world we've, right? we've
1: talked about doing uh merchandise for purposes other than making money on it like we could do something to give it away or something like that yeah we'll yeah about
0: that. yeah so i don't know we'll uh explore that so in today's podcast we're going to be talking about something that i think is going to help out a lot of people and that is the the psychology of investing okay so everybody was super bummed when a couple podcasts ago you said that you think nine out of ten investors are actually hardwired to be investors or nine out of ten people are hardwired to be investors and i want to talk about the psychology of investing everything that goes nine out of ten are or not are not correct correct yeah i said are people yeah sorry yeah are yeah.
1: not i think that, that's, that's right. the major bummer part are not <laughs> to pick stocks yeah i'd say most people are not to be in the market but definitely nine out of ten are not that they should you know not be picking individual stocks yeah
0: so joel greenblatt in his columbia <laughs> class special situations class i watched it and i've also read the audited notes google it you can get access to it it's awesome um he said The intro was Warren Buffett says that you should index and I think you should too, but he doesn't and I don't either. So let's talk about investing, right? And I thought that was a very interesting opener. And it's very true because I feel like most investors do think other people should index. Um, But if you're listening to this podcast and you're like us, you probably don't yourself. So there's some psychological things that we could work on to improve the process. Mm -hmm. So tell me, why do you think nine out of 10 people are not hardwired to be investors and again we're talking about investing we're not talking about speculating or gambling right i mean let's break down the definition right we could bring it back to the benjamin graham definition i mean what's the difference between investing investing and speculating
1: oh um well i mean for me i think the the definite the difference is that in an investment you're trying to get your uh return from the underlying asset Um, and in a speculation, you're trying to get it from the marketability
0: of it. So, so the actual price of, or the actual returns that the business generates versus the price in the market is what you're saying.
1: Yes, I think so. I think marketability is the key to speculation. Um, yeah, but different people will disagree on that because the word speculation obviously does mean different things. So, you know, is merger arbitrage and stuff speculation? It's speculating on the future that way. Um, and so you could also also argue, isn't buying Tesla the same kind of speculation as merger arbitrage? Isn't it just a matter of the probabilities and stuff like that? But it is interesting that a lot of the investors we talk about, value investors, Graham, uh, Greenblatt, Buffett, all those people did dabble in things like arbitrage and stuff, and didn't usually in buying really expensive stocks. So, why do you think that is? Keeps them
0: bored or keep them busy? Keeps them from. I think there's similarities.
1: I think there's similarities to it. Um, I think the kind of speculation that we're talking about is more like um, uh, is focused on the marketability of the stock going up and not on the on the underlying um, uh, asset, if you want to call it that. I mean, in the case of arbitrage and things like that, it has to do with whether an event will or won't occur, the probabilities involved in that. But it has to do with something objectively apart from the market. I think that's the big difference. When I talk to people, that seems to be the big difference. Um, outside of uh, my professional life, whenever I've talked to someone about stocks, the difference is that they're talking about um the stock as what it's doing in the market, right? So mm-hmm. they're talking about price things, they're talking about what they think about people buying and selling, whatever those things are, the news things that they're seeing, whatever that is, which is very different from talking about the, the business or the underlying asset or whatever.
0: Do you find it hard to talk to people about stocks that aren't in the industry or sort of where you could you know go back and forth with i i, I find mm-hmm. it very challenging and i know they say you don't understand something unless you could explain it to a five-year-old okay. but i feel like i can't offer much insight because everything i would tell them they just wouldn't be interested in anyways
1: that, oh that's probably true
0: but i'll just tell them even if they're not interested <laughs> i'm just <laughs> I, always like yeah you know I don't, go buy an index fund or yeah oh. that's cool you know I, I just i don't know it's I find it challenging sometimes. And a lot of times too, it's because everything that we do is just not sexy right now. Mm -hmm. So if I do start to talk about, I see their eyes kind of like veer off to the side and I'm like, yeah, they're not interested at all.
1: Yeah. That's probably true. Yeah. I mean, I usually encourage them to, if I know that they work for a public company or something, or trying to get them to say that they work for a public company, then we can figure that out. What industry that that's in, if their own company is in public, what industry do they work in Mm -hmm. the area? At least I know some companies in the area and in the right, um, you know, county, state, things like that. I could probably come up with some names of publicly traded things and then things they're interested in, right? So, mm-hmm. so at least you could uh, find stuff like Look that. What you
0: connecting with them? So, no, it's interesting. So, you've watched this. Um, I think this is interesting. The very first part of like talking about like the psychology of investing is knowing yourself. Okay, right? Do you have what it takes to be a cost trade investor? How will you react in certain situations? I forget the exact test name, but Monish talked about, I think, in early on in his career. You know what I'm talking about? He did, like, some sort of uh, test the, where you yes. talk to people for... He
1: did a very involved psychological testing where they...
0: It's sort of like a 360 review type thing. To really get to know yourself. And then they give you this report yes. on Jeff Gannon or this right. report on Andrew Kuhn. And he actually said that one of his friends did it. And his friend was like, I hated reading about the person mm-hmm. that I write about. Right. So I thought that was kind of interesting, really, just to know yourself. It'd be, I'd like to take a test like that, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, maybe, right? Um, But do you think that's like a pretty good, I mean, like you, for example, like you know yourself, you know how you react in certain situations, price moves for you are purely irrelevant. You focus, you know, purely on the look through earnings and the actual business itself and stuff like that. So do you think that's a pretty good starting point for people to, um, I guess, go down this path? of the psychology of investing?
1: Yeah, I think go back and look at your, what actual mistakes you think you'd made and what things you did right. And you'll find that it can be quite different from what you expect and what you spend time on. I spend time way too much on certain things that based on my past record, isn't really that useful. I'm too biased to doing things, even though I'm much less so than other people. But if you look at my record of decisions that I made in the past and things that I do now, and how I organize stuff in terms of my day and what I do and all that, it's way too biased to trying to do too many things in small ways and stuff, as opposed to uh,
0: doing a few big things very rarely. Okay. So tell us about that. What do you, what do you mean?
1: Well, For instance, I'm way too much paying attention to the price of the stock, right? So is it cheap enough? Is it a value stock? As long as it's just cheaper than or as cheap or cheaper than the average business, then if you look at my past record on things, I just buy it and hold it. It's fine. It's not hard usually to determine if a stock is um, a bit cheap. And I don't really need to know if it's super cheap or a bit cheap. Um and then just not selling it when it goes up a little bit, uh, unless it goes up to an extremely wrong price. So worrying too much about whether some uh, buying something when it's you know seven times earnings instead of eleven, and then wondering about selling it once at twenty five times earnings instead of it being at fifty or something, you know. So if you just look, that hey, I, my past record is definitely um, an issue. Thinking too much about price that way, but I want to warn people about that because for most people that's not true. Uh, One of the big problems is, you know, I mean, there's sort of three things, I guess, that I'd say people, that that happens with people of what they do wrong. Um, Buy their own business, right? So they buy bad businesses, they pay too much for the bad businesses, and they trade them too frequently. And that's usually what's going to happen to most people, and that explains most of your errors. Um, Each of us have our own sort of biases, and my bias is pretty strongly towards not paying too much. So what i'm saying is a mistake that i make is unlikely to be something i need to remind other people. Most people do not need to be encouraged to um be willing to pay enough for a business they really love. Um but in in my case worrying too much about
0: the very cheapest things or whatever would be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, and you've talked about it on the podcast how f- other times how that's how you are and it's just if you you know, see a hundred dollar bill on the ground no matter what it is it's like you have to learn about it and, and you know correct if you think it's worth two hundred dollars for example like you just have right. to learn about exactly it. The bias that you have.
1: and yet that's a little different from uh, uh from Parai because um i won't buy things that have a really big upside but some downside to the point that it could be a hundred percent loss even though the probability is low um that look really cheap So even though he would probably say the same thing, that sometimes he spends too much time looking at things that are really cheap and all that, as I just said, it's a different kind of really cheap that Mm -hmm. we'd be looking at. What you're describing is more the kind of thing that, yeah, um, if it seems like it's hard to see how you would lose money in this or something like that, then that's more the kind of thing that I have to pay attention to. How do you think you mitigate against that? Uh, Yeah. Uh, keep reminding yourself of how much you made on the things in the past. For me, you know, the the math of it is the easy way to remind yourself of that. Um, The truth is that the gains are so large from the things that you sell and shouldn't have um, that as one of our questions before asked about like comparing like what we'd say like on base percentage versus slugging. Slugging is so important in investing that actually you can have a very low batting average. Um, as long as you um, sometimes buy winners that you hold on to for a long time. Remember that 9 out of 10 stocks, 9 out of 10 businesses, 9 out of 10 publicly traded businesses are really not good enough in the long run for you to concentrate on them instead of just being in an index. Like 9 out of 10 stocks probably should just be traded. They're just a value bet of, okay, they're a bit cheap now, they'll mean revert. There's really, it's maybe 1 out of 10 stocks that actually over a lifetime compound in such a way that um they're worth thinking about whether it's for long-term holding or just like thinking about it in a different way than just the approach of um betting on pure mean reversion but for most of the stock universe just mean reversion so it is just a question of price and things like that and you know momentum and stuff but we don't focus on that
0: mm-hmm. yeah and, and i guess when you are betting on mean reversion yeah you're having to find a bunch of new ideas probably and flip the portfolio right
1: Right, so you have to flip the portfolio more, yeah. But it's a question of what skills you have that way. Um, what you look at the past to see what you've actually done a good job of judging and what you haven't. Um, so I've been a fairly good judge of um, uh, businesses that turned out to be higher quality over longer periods of time. So being in the right industry, the right business, things like that. Yeah. Um, so if you isolate the price part of it Mm -hmm. whereas when buying things on the price and trying to weigh that against problems with the quality and stuff it's harder especially because sometimes you get returns that are about the same as the market or about it more importantly about the same as what i would be getting in something else um with a lot of trouble for it so um they're they're more difficult to figure out to when you have situations where you're either paying a really high price for something that you know is really good where you're paying a really low price or something you believe is below average they get more complicated in terms of figuring out what you should be in
0: yeah i have a model on my investing checklist my personal one mm-hmm. that basically is just a reminder that price can't be the only form of a margin of safety
1: yeah exactly yeah
0: and we've talked about it before where it's like i'd rather be a cheerleader be like hell yeah keep going you guys are doing great yes Uh, rather than oh we didn't suck that much this quarter or or something like right you know and so uh, uh, but it's still cheap but it's still three times or whatever it is you know
1: yeah and so that's the thing so this depends on different people's different personalities one thing i would say for you is i would never recommend for you being involved in special situations because how special situations work in general is uh, like insurance and and like uh, lending and stuff you make small amounts of money almost all the time And then occasionally you lose a lot on one deal and you have to, on all the deals that you're making some money on, kind of have in your mind a reserve of, I'm going to lose money on one of these deals. And all you do is read the news. And as you approach closer and closer, you just get the amount you're expecting really. Mm -hmm. So, and then some deal falls apart, but that's okay because on average, you, you know, you make more money and it's true. You can make, I mean, my averages and things like that are, uh, they're not worse at all than other forms of investing, but they're a way of investing that most people would never want to do. So that's when we talk about, like, uh, Clark Street Value, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a good blog to look for, things like that. And it's something I've mentioned before. But I think most people are definitely not set up to do uh that kind of special situations investing event-driven investing that's definitely not appropriate for most people just Mm -hmm. like most people should not lend money or should not write insurance you know (laughs) the
0: same kind of idea yeah it is interesting how you could have two totally different approaches but you could still be in the same ballpark of performance and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and maybe one person's working way more harder than the other i mean look like clark street valley for example the guy I mean, you just read his blog. He's always turning over rocks and interesting situations and stuff like that. And he's he's, he's much more diversified too, I would say, right? He posts his portfolio. He owns a bunch of different stocks. So that's a lot more maintenance and everything that goes into it.
1: Yes. And I think from what Buffett said at the time that he discussed arbitrage and and things like that, it looks like his performance in buying and holding businesses and in merger arbitrage on levered is pretty similar. A little more tax efficient on the buying the business forever. So what does that tell you? Well, he's very good at merger arbitrage too. Mm. Now, he used leverage though. So the numbers he gave are on leverage, but I know that in in the actual partnership and stuff, he leveraged it up. So his actual returns are better, but that was just because he was willing to use
0: leverage on them, but not on normal long positions. Um, Do you think why we aren't constantly like nibbling at stocks? Do you think that there's a psychological reason behind that and how typically when we do build positions or exit positions, it's pretty much all out or all in? and then all out at the same time? Yeah. I mean, it's the Buffett approach.
1: Yeah. I know it's something that most people who like Buffett a lot don't do that. I do. And I think he would say he does that. I mean, he said that about the airlines when people ask like, so are you completely out of it? I remember people were shocked. (laughs) He was like, Like, well, once we start selling it, we usually, you know, we don't trim, trim. we don't do stuff like that. And I'd say that's true. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I don't, I mean, you know, obviously we sometimes deal in illiquid securities and things. So it's not like we just go out and, put in orders the way you might for liquid stocks Mm -hmm. but i just mean in terms of the decision of this is how much how many shares we want over time yeah we make that as sort of a one decision thing yeah so the actual trading of it yeah that's a little bit more complicated but in terms of deciding to make the investment and or make the sale yeah it's kind of an all or nothing thing that way sure
0: so i guess getting back to judging the situation by the asset performance versus the market price right so it's like if you look at a all things being equal. Let's say you're looking at a bank that has a 15% return on equity and it's trading right. in the market at a price to book of one.
1: Right, so it's cheap because it should, you know, theoretically, I mean, it, there are different factors and things. Sure. But you'd think in normal times and stuff, it, it should trade at like, um, uh, mm, I mean... It should trade at a much
0: higher price, yeah. But you think of, but... Uh, talking it could about be actual, a little over two, yeah. Talking about the actual asset uh, returns, though, Right, that's forward returns of the actual business, like what you're paying today, first way it could generate in the future Correct. is 15%.
1: Right. That's like and a shorthand way to think how about How much you can reinvest. The big question there is how much you can reinvest. Correct. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's just a shorthand way of looking at it. So it, that's kind yeah, of Yeah, I the, always look at what the, the, the stock, uh, I always look at what the business is doing to tell me the price that I think it's worth. So I always have in mind an idea of what the stock, what the business is worth that lets me, that tells me how much wealth I have. Okay. So and that, that, that is not what the stock price, I've never ever let the stock price tell me that my wealth has gone up or down that way. You know what I mean? I don't mark to market in my mind when looking at it, because if you assume you're going to hold it, you shouldn't mark it to market in your mind, you know? Um, now we market to market for the fund and stuff. Cause that's what you do um but it's not a realistic way of thinking about it you are not a lot richer if you're going to hold this thing for a long time if it goes up 50 percent, because it matters if earnings go up that much thinking what a rational private buyer well if you're yeah if you're and if you're looking at the earnings for that's the other thing so you're looking at the earnings that's one way to do it obviously is not i actually don't usually think in terms of what is it worth Uh, i've said this before i don't kind of do the dcf thing capitalizing it i say what would be the returns that are generated by it? And you always want to be the thing with the highest returns. So you can look at an apartment building and say, here's the cap rate and stuff and put a multiple on it. Or you can say, here's the cash flows coming off of it. And so if you own a business that is generating 8% of its market value right now in earnings, right, then that could be okay. And it could be worth even more. Um, but that's the return that you're actually getting. So if you only think it's $100,000 and it's you know trading at 12, 13 times earnings, then it's like having a stream of income that's like $8,000 or so. Um, and that's more the way I'd look at it. If you had a stream of income that was like $8,000 or something and then someone suddenly told you, well, interest rates changed. So you have the same job, you're going to pay the same amount of money, but now that job's worth one and a half times. Most people don't feel one and a half times richer because interest rates went down. Yeah, correct. Uh, but their salary is the same. Mm-hmm. But, you know, your earnings in a stock sometimes are the same, but the stock
0: goes up. Alice Schroeder said that's how Buffett thinks about it. And this was a long time ago, but he basically wanted a 15% earning yield today or yeah. day one investing that he thinks could grow over time.
1: Yeah, and that's how I look at it. So what are the earnings? Um, now some situations are more complicated than that, but what are the earnings and how much can they grow by and all that? So what's the return you could get in it? Uh, Not trying to think about the return in terms of what others will pay for it. Now, this is a little conservative because in my experience, I can look and match what was my actual returns in stocks versus the numbers I just told you. And the returns in stocks is higher. So something's happening there. Either people are bidding up the stock, uh, or like it's happening faster than you'd expect. The multiple re-rating. Yeah, the multiple sense. re-rating, and maybe the multiple re-rating is happening faster than you expect. So either they're bidding it up beyond other businesses, and or it's happening much quicker than I expect.
0: Correct. So let's say Jeff underwrites something that he thinks could return fifteen percent over ten years. Sometimes you get a better return because you get a multiple re-rating in year three or year four or something like that. Right. I mean, just look at Buffett with Apple.
1: Yeah. There was a multiple exactly. rating in year one,
0: basically, <laughs> yeah. right? Exactly. Where he had 100% return pretty much instantly because everybody bid the stock up. Right. And Coca-Cola started going
1: up and went up for 10 years straight or whatever. Um, Washington Post did badly for like three years and then did great for 10. So at the end of 10 years or whatever, it would look like he had an amazing investment, but I think it was very mediocre for three years. Whereas Apple, it looked great within three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, Berkshire Hathaway was
0: like that as well. Yes. The stock went yep. over for three years. Mm-hmm. So yeah. imagine being an LP... A partner in his fun. Right. You follow him into Berkshire. Buffett wrote a letter basically saying, Well, I'm wealthier. I'm less motivated, different part of my life. Um, also, I don't understand this new type of investing that's going on in the market. Right. You invest with him in Berkshire and then the stock goes nowhere for three years. We talk about three years like it's three minutes, but three years is a very long time.
1: Yeah. We talk about <laughs> as long it as when we been looking, doing this podcast. Right. We talk about when looking in the past. Um, but for me, if I expect to hold it, then that is how I feel. Honestly, it is. Uh, That's what I care about. And I get more uneasy when a stock's going up and I'm not getting the quarterly reports and things that I want to see with the business doing well. Mm -hmm. I'd rather, I'm always happier to have a business doing well and the stock not doing so great. Um, That always feels good. That's just telling you your future returns are going to be good. Yeah, you're, you're just you the know? opposite. But it's true. That's what it's telling you. Totally, 100%. And, and you should feel more comfortable holding it. Now, yes, you could be annoyed, and many people are annoyed, that it hasn't gone up yet. Mm-hmm. But the odds of it going up in the future get better and better as they report good earnings, as everything about the business is going well, and yet the stock is not responding as strongly. And, I mean, the stock can go up. If the stock goes up 10% and earnings go up 20%, that's good. Mm-hmm. If the stock goes down 5%, and earnings go up 5%, that also could be good. Mm-hmm. Um that you like to see earnings, you like to see the actual business confirming what you uh, what you felt um, when you bought into it, right? And sometimes I have been in stocks that went up and I thought the earnings weren't that great or something. Or like the business I had, you know, I feel if the business didn't perform as I expected, then I feel like I've made a mistake even though I made money in the stock. And that has happened. And I've gotten questions from a few people about that. But I said, you know, I made a lot of money in the stock, but I kind of feel like I was lucky Because it really didn't do as well as I was hoping as a business. And I don't really understand why it went up a bunch. Or I sold it and then it went down. Right. But so, yeah, exactly. Because eventually that happens. Um, But like I timed the buying and selling really well. So maybe their skill is in timing the buying and selling really well, which is something that I am not good at. I'm not the person to ask (laughs) how much do you think the stock will open up at if there's
0: been news of like what, you know, quarterly news about whatever. Yeah. Every time I do that, I'm always (laughs) wrong on that. (laughs) I'm guessing what'll happen. I mean just like, oh my gosh, this this was just a great yeah, report. The stocks could open up twenty percent tomorrow. Right. Nothing. And so there's some that baffle me that way and others that yeah. don't.
1: I we pointed out that I um there was a thing with Points International and airlines and stuff, and I would have expected a big decline from it and it initially went up. Eventually it declined, you know, but initially giving they gave pretty good um they sounded more positive than, than the airlines had sounded. And so I figured, oh, well, you know, if when that happens, the stock goes down, usually, you know, mm-hmm. um, usually if you sound really positive, people are like, well, that's not possible, then, you know, it goes down. Um, but that's not what happened at all. So, you know, yeah.
0: You'd be surprised too how many CEOs use the current stock price as well. They're, pricing in a lot of future growth. And I know every single CEO on the planet, they kind of follow the Buffett model, right? Where they said, no, we don't look at the, we don't care where the stock or our prices, but I just don't actually think that's true. And I think Buffett actually, to him, if it goes down or if the stock stays the same, but they continue to grow, he's like, great, I could buy back stock. But again, getting back to the, uh, you know, nine out of 10 rule, I would say CEOs are the same way. It's kind of like Jeff Bezos. He always talks about how a lot of times, people will congratulate him on a quarter or something like that. And he's like, oh yeah, thanks. I'm already two years ahead because it's all about the future growth. Like we did that work a long time ago, but, but thank you. Yeah. And I'd say the same thing for stocks. If we have a good quarter or something,
1: usually it means that it's because of a purchase a while back. Yeah. Um, and I know that from other investing things that i done in the past with my own money or something. One of the best years that I had was like, I hadn't changed anything in two years. So <laughs> yeah. it, it, t- it took a while for it to get recognized or whatever, but like the earning situation got better and yeah. then, the, then the guidance for the future got better and then, you know, that kind of thing.
0: But special situations is more congratulations on the last quarter. Maybe you made a great move. It could be like that.
1: It can be. Yeah. It also can be um, luck. And people can recognize that so if you can see show that they're isolated incidents that they're independent events of each other it can just be bad luck it, it's like i was talking about with um universal insurance um one thing that was kind of worrying me about that is they have guidance and all that and i was trying to analyze it um you can just have two of the worst hurricane seasons in a row I and mean, there's nothing the company can do about it and there's no nothing you can do about it but people get annoyed if you miss for you know eight quarters in a row or whatever but that can just that'll just happen because of weather and there'll be other times when it doesn't happen Mm -hmm. um so it's hard to guide in a business like that and yet people do kind of focus on that even in businesses like that even in business with weather it's like you know they've been missing on this lately i I don't know how you miss on weather but yeah
0: got it how can people improve when it comes to psychology in the markets Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm really skeptical (laughs) that they can improve Very skeptical. I think there's certain
1: things that they can do, and if you figure out that it's an issue for you, um, then I think you can kind of target it to that in your behavior by adopting certain habits. Um, Sometimes just reminding yourself. I mean, honestly, with the the look-through earnings thing. So I do always think how much earnings is supporting the stock that we have right now, basically. So when I look at the stocks, I think – you know, do we have, if are, are we, I don't even think in terms of the PE really. I think about the f- the flip side of the earnings yield. And if that number says 4%, then I'm thinking, well, this isn't good. This is pretty expensive. And mm-hmm. I shouldn't get too excited about what's happened with the price. But if it says 8%, then we're good. Yeah. We're earning 8% in our money. Um, you know, that'd be a good, if you own an 8% bond, you'd be pretty happy. Mm-hmm. And if you think the odds are that earnings will go up over time rather than down, then what you own is better than an 8% bond.
0: Yeah. And how you finish that That equation, if your hurdle is 15% over time, you're earning, you know, let's say 8 to 10% today, solve for X, right? How much do you need in growth to kind of get to that 15% number? Yeah.
1: The hard thing about investing is that the gains and losses um, happen in such short periods of time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what we expect with the business kind of does turn out, but then you look and you go, oh, but went up a hundred percent in one year, then right. flat for a couple of years. Yeah, think about like a you moving know. average in a way. Right. right. So the, so the business is like it grew 20, 30% a year, every year. And you, you know, for a while and you think, well, that's amazing. I'm sure you, that's what you expect when you bought it. I'm sure you bought it. You were very happy with it whatever. And instead it goes up more than a hundred percent in a couple quarters. It does nothing or it's down in other things. And you know, you kind of read into that a lot of stuff. Um, that's an important thing. I think people assume the market is more efficient, especially in that the market is telling them more than it is. Day to day the market is mostly moving for liquidity reasons.
0: I market mean, makers, it, et cetera, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it's just moving because, you know, th- because people need want cash and don't want socks and things or because they, you know, vice versa. Um it's not really uh because people's opinions about a the value of a business has actually changed by that percentage. Mm-hmm. That's pretty rare. Uh there are days like that. I mean that that is true in the middle of the you know, financial crisis or something about a bank, that might be it. In the middle of a OPEC thing about oil, yes, there can be big information, things on a single debt or fraud or something. But for most things, it isn't. And so when your stock drops a lot, it's really just because of that. People want to get in and out and that kind of stuff, you know. And we see that all the time now, right, with people talking about rotation from this thing to that thing. It doesn't mean that suddenly you think, oh, banks are going to make a lot of money, and then the next day they think, oh, tech stocks are going to make a lot of money. It's because of money flowing into those categories of things about, you know, what they want to be in. mm mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well said. Cool. Well, thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us on the Focus Compounding Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube right now, go to QuickFS. Even if you're listening, go to quickfs.net, sign up, tell them that you came from Focus Compounding in the checkouts. You'll see a spot to do that. Uh, Jeff and I use it every single day to look at the financials, long-term financials, 20 years of stocks. It's uh As they say on their homepage, financial modeling made quick. Whenever we're looking at a company, we just go there and plug it in. It's a great uh, website. So go check that out. Uh, Hit the subscribe button both on YouTube and the podcast side of things. Follow me on Twitter at Focused Compound. DM me or email me. Uh, info at focuscompound.com. any questions that you have, and we will pull them and answer them on the podcast. If I don't answer yours directly, what I typically try to do is just group them together because we get a lot of questions. So uh, if it's not yours, word from word, I try to hit on all the topics. Well, thank you everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us. We'll see you in the next podcast.